You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today, Jakob Kierkegaard. Hello. Hello, Jakob. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much <laughs> for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, astute listeners have probably heard me talk about Opus Mors uh, in some of our past episodes and uh, probably recommended some of your other work when we were doing sort of our focus on field recordings back in February, which was uh, a lot of fun and uh, learned a lot there. And uh, you're in Los Angeles, so how could we miss a chance to talk to you? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so can you tell us a bit about why, why you're here, the installation you're doing, and, and what, uh, what brought you to Los Angeles? Well, I was invited uh, by the Museum of Contemporary Art in Santa Barbara to uh, uh, be part of a show there and present a work um, called Testimonium that I uh, have shown at the, the gallery that I'm represented by in New York called Friedman Gallery. And um, Alexander Terry from the uh, museum uh, was interested in bringing that uh, sort of eight-channel sound installation to uh, the museum. Uh, I believe it's their first sound art piece in the museum. Okay. So uh, I thought that was, that was really cool. So uh, it's a piece uh, based on my recordings on, of waste and waste management. So I, <laughs> okay. Since I got a son, I, we were like, you know, trying to teach him different things. And when we brought out the garbage, he was like, I was like, well, I heard myself saying, you know, this garbage doesn't just disappear. Or like when you flush the toilet, it's, you know, it doesn't go away. You know, <laughs> it, it goes somewhere else. Yeah. And then he asked like, where? And uh, then I thought, okay, I got to take that journey, like move somewhere, go, go there with my microphones and listen. So I contacted um, different uh, waste management facilities in Denmark to hear if I could come and record sound of, of the whole thing. And they were just like, yes, please come. <laughs> and so I, I did that and, um, and also went to Kenya because I have a friend who works at the UN, uh, UN Habitat. She's called Nao Takeuchi. She's Japanese and she works there in Nairobi. And uh, in Nairobi, there is one of the largest landfills in the world called Dandora Dumping Site. And uh, so they are working with waste and waste uh, sort of, yeah, uh, sort of making people aware of waste and sort of what to do. And so she, she was also interested in going to that landfill. So I came, I got, went to Kenya and then we went to this landfill and recorded there. So the way I have recorded waste and wastewater is with sensors and uh, like that I, accelerometers that I put into like underneath w piles of waste and into metal and plastic and also uh, hydrophone into uh, um, uh, wastewater, like open sewers basically, mm -hmm. but also uh, these... Uh, wastewater facilities in Copenhagen that is just like big pools of poop basically. <laughs> Whoa. And uh, so yeah. basically this work is about trying to focus on, on what, what we, I, most of us, I guess, want to get rid of and hold out in stretched arm and not to think of anymore. You know, you flush the toilet and you, you just, or you go leave the garbage somewhere and it's, it's over for you. You just don't right. think of it anymore. So to create this sort of more intimate portrait of, of those, of, of waste in different shapes and forms and uh, glass, metal, plastic, and like a timbre, 
So recording mountains of glass or plastic, it has, has its own like of almost a percussive, um, percussive, percussive element to it. So that is uh, what I'm presenting at Santa Barbara. Okay, and that's uh, there now? Yeah. How long does that run? Um, I, I think a couple of months. Okay. I don't remember exactly. But then there is a video as well, which is like a complimentary uh, a version of that piece. Okay. So that's why I'm in the United States, and the Danish Arts Council paid for my trip to go. Very nice of them. Yeah. Mm. You know, being from <laughs> Denmark, it's uh, thanks to them uh, that I was able to do this trip. So I brought my son, a six-year-old son, Ankar, and uh, paid for him myself and then um, took a little trip, uh, made a trip out of it and visited friends in, in Los Angeles, um, David Wilson and uh, Eva in um, Hampson in the uh, Museum of Jurassic Technology, who I've known for 15 years. So uh, we're staying there and the museum is is a beautiful thing. We've talked about it on the show before. Oh, we but love I, that place. I think yes. uh, I think we might talk about it a little bit later in this sure. episode too, because it's it's a very special place. Those doves. Have you uh, have you done any recordings since you've been in Los Angeles or in the states? Yes, I I did uh, recordings at the uh, Museum of Natural History in Santa Barbara of uh, butterflies, because uh, since um, a while I'm working on project on butterflies, so I was. I've been in touch with the botanical garden in Copenhagen mm -hmm. and also a Swedish uh, butterfly expert. And then now the uh, butterfly uh, people at the um, museum here uh, in Santa Barbara. You've been recording there? Yes. Uh, w uh, so the idea was that I should record the, um, I wanted to record the migration of um, of the, uh, of the um, monarchs. Mm -hmm. But uh, then they told me that there aren't many this year. So I, I, I decided to postpone that, but then I just w visited them and uh, recorded in there. They have a little cage kind of where they are hanging, the pupae, pupa, mm -hmm. pupa, and sort of coming out. And um, they just arrived, the, the, the pupae, pupa, what's it called? I think pupa yeah. is pupa. correct. Pupa and pupae yeah. for plural. Ah, yeah, and, and, yeah, and okay. I'm, I'm assuming they're in a, in a chrysalis pupae. right now. Yeah. Yes. And so we just uh, hung my microphones uh, there next to them and uh, left it recording for the whole night. So I haven't actually listened yet, but uh, <laughs> oh, that's very it will exciting! Be like the metamorphosis, uh, metamorphosis. These the these two recordings we're speaking of, your installation on waste management and and recording the butterflies, both actually sort of tie into. Uh, not the first time I'd heard your work, but the, sort of the the thing I associate with you now, which is the Opus Mores mm. box set uh, in that recording waste management and recording things that we kind of throw away and don't think about can obviously be seen as tying to death and what happens afterwards and places, spaces and scenarios that people do not get to hear in yes. their normal lives. Right. And also recording butterflies in the pupae and recording sort of the body farm and the, the yeah. what process of a decaying body and the natural things and, and animals or insects that come and, and help that process along. So yeah. it's funny to see these tie in together because that was obviously one of the reasons we want to speak with you is because of this box and, and all of your work. And uh, I'm curious where the, where the inspiration for that specific work came from. The uh, death piece I Opus Morse. Yes. I mean, first of all, I just want to say you're, you're very right. It's very well, um, seen by you like it's it's true there is a connection between the butterfly 
piece and the Opus Mors and the waste. I was working on the waste project and the death project like Opus Mors uh, simultaneously. And there was definitely a lot of, you know, uh, parallels to that, you know, the, the waste, like the recording of cremation, you know, and then you have like a burning of waste. Yeah. It's kind of, mm -hmm. and for it not to rot and et cetera. And then the butterfly has this odd, totally different component. Um, but um, the inspiration for Opus Mors, um, I think it's twofold or threefold. Yeah, I think there are three reasons that I can mention that I think must have, you know, my ideas just come, you know, it's just like, when, when do we get ideas? And it's, I think it's just a matter of being alive and being, you know, receptive and, but for sure, I've always been on a, on a quest to find, to go to the limit, you know, to find out, you know, can I go deeper? Can I, can I, <laughs> is there more to life, you know, and is there more to sound? And that's why I like to record with sensors and uh, very sensitive measurement microphones, because then I see there, there is a whole world inside of whatever little thing or um, actually I recorded the resonance of uh, human craniums as well. <laughs> there's a resonance, but anyway, that's a, another uh, project. I would hope there would be. <laughs> there is, yeah, tone. Um, yeah. So, um, so I think death was a kind of an ultimate recording somehow or an ultimate thing to deal with. And it's something that we all have in common. And it's maybe what we talk least about, or, or at least when people talk about death, I think uh, usually it's either related to the news or uh, terror or, 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 or horror movies or, you know, entertainment or, or some religious thing. Mm, so I thought, is it possible to listen to, to that, to the, some of those processes? Because the it's reality so, of those processes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, reality is a um, tricky word, I think. What's reality, you know? Well, but sure, that's, it, uh, that's a whole other discussion, yeah, and, right? And yeah, truly, yeah. bodies aren't allowed to decay because exactly. we, we are pumped full of so many chemicals and drained and, and preserved in such a state. Exactly. Like I had the opportunity to go to a gross anatomy lab and draw cadavers. And, you know, it, you don't realize how uncomfortable other people are around mm. death until you are in a room full of cadavers. And, and most people were sick or left. Um, and then I think there were two of us that remained through, through <gasps> 30 people. Wow. With this, oh, you're no, speaking of death, a spirit came. <laughs> Somebody's so talking. And, but, but truly, you know, what was remaining on the table, it, it is impacting seeing a lifeless body, like seeing something that's, that's no longer animated and thinking about, you know, what, what it used to be. But I enjoyed coming to terms with that and understanding that I am animated meat and skeletons, mm. um, you know, walking around through the day. I totally get what you mean. I mean, I totally agree with you because I was recording at Body Farm at the Forensic mm -hmm. Anthropology Center near Texas, uh, near Austin, Texas. And, um, you know, one thing I said was that, of course, I was at work, you know, I was there to record mm -hmm. and to understand how I could get the best possible recordings. But um, so that in itself was like, um, I had to focus on that and not to focus on, oh, what is this? And But... Um, Sitting down, I had to sit like on my on my feet, like uh, 
knees bent uh, to get to uh, record uh, some maggots here underneath mm -hmm. their throat, like inside. And I couldn't hold, like get the microphone uh, still. So I had to actually sit there and, and uh, next to this corpse and record. And uh, I think for the first minute or so, I was like, whoa, shit, you know, like they're mm -hmm. really actually, this is a real corpse. Uh, although I had been there for, for hours already. But then this woman who took me around, she left because I was just sitting there and recording and yeah. being quiet. And she just stood there. And so she just left. And then I found myself sitting alone there in this forest area with that corpse and then recording. And, you know, when you record, you know, just hold it still. So I started looking and just contemplating on this corpse. Mm -hmm. And uh, so at this point, I was just way beyond that uh, horror uh, or alienation or how disgusting is this or f fear. And I think I was able to just discover it for what it was mm -hmm. uh, outside of my own prejudice or, you know, um, and just to look at it and just to listen and discover the ear, the hair, the animals and the a skin. And it was just like, wow. Yeah. I don't know. It was just real, very real, like reality, like um, <laughs> nature doing its job. Yeah, the decay process is so fascinating mm -hmm. in that, you know, we have all these facilities to make thing to make trash go away and mm -hmm. get them out mm -hmm. of the places where we don't want them. But but truly we decompose and, and you know, enter the earth very easily. And it's, you know, kind of built into the act of nature. And to witness that, to wit you know, even when you're on a walk and you see a decaying animal, it's like, wow, that was fast. It's impressive. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I don't think it's um, horrifying. It's just, actually, I have to say, I, there was one corpse that had um, piercings. And that was weird to see because it became a person. Like it became, I sort of, sort of suddenly thought, okay, this is, um, I suddenly got this idea of a type, like a kind of person, piercing guy or something. <laughs> <In> a personality. <laughs> no, a piercing between yeah, the legs. Yeah. And I, so this piercing was lying there between the rotting corpse. And that was, I didn't like to see that. Yeah. Because it became like, yeah, too close. But uh, if it was just like some kind of human being, it was uh, different. And I could see it as a nature, as a cycle, as a... Nothing weird about that because mm. nobody there was murdered or something either. Yeah. Mm. I saw someone but, with breast implants in the, in the cadavers. What did you see? And the breast implants. Wow. And okay. Yeah. Take them. And, and as you know, their skin is coming off. That was very, very strange. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, Becomes, you start to think about who that person was. Mm -hmm. um, but back to, you asked, uh, the inspiration for that piece. So I think one, like Opus Morse, mm -hmm. and I think one thing above all is I'm always interested in going deeper. What's going to be my next project? You know, what, what would I like to do? You know, what would I like to record? You know, death, you know, de death <laughs> processes. Yeah. That's really something. Uh, so, but then I also thought maybe it has to, had to do with the fact that a friend of mine died and uh, she was quickly, you know, in the morgue. She had to be there, you know, not to, you know, rot or whatever. And it was so weird, like just after 
she had died. She had to think about her being there. Yeah. And then I also got my son six years ago now. And I think that also put things into perspective. I remember when I got him in my hands right after he came out and it was just like there and looking at me and I, I thought, okay, you know, he lives and I will die, you know, and he will live on. And I don't know, I got this sort of, uh, it was just there like, okay, this is the generation. This is like, I gave life to him. And so he will maybe one day hopefully be there with me when I die. So these kind of things. So I started, um, I started thinking of, of life in, in a different way. So I wanted to deal with it somehow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I, the recording on those works is, is beautiful and detailed and both sort of what you expect to hear and not at all what you're expecting Mm -hmm. to hear, right? Like it makes sense when you're listening to those recordings, Mm -hmm. but no one, you know, no one's going to hear what it sounds like when they're cremated, right? No one, no one can kind of know a lot of these processes because they're so far removed. And I think that that's part of what the work of the work really, that really spoke to me and, and made me really curious about it is just from my own and perhaps morbid curiosity, but wanting to hear those sounds and wanting to hear these things. But how did you decide uh, which, which death processes you were going to focus on for that work? It's a good question. I, I thought these four were the most obvious uh, in terms of Western processes uh, and in align with my friend's death. You know, I thought of what she was go- going through or not she, but the corpse, um, the morgue, I thought is an interesting space. I've been recording uh, empty rooms in Chernobyl many years ago and uh, just I'm interested in rooms like these sort of uh, limitations of space, whereas something is bouncing, bouncing, you know, you don't necessarily hear it. And also, you know, entering a house where you have this feeling of something was weird here or, or something is nice, you know, why, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, rooms are interesting. And that room is just for that, for these corpses to lie there. And then if I imagine myself being there, like on my way, it's sort of an a sort of transition space. And then when I listened to these drones, it kind of became mm-hmm. because when you listen, like we have this ventilation here in this mm-hmm. room, there is a tone underneath. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh yeah. And the pulse. So if you go into that and start to equalize, you know, you have a piece. It goes like, <laughs> and then you, you know, it, it starts to, you, your mind starts to wonder. You think like, oh, a mork, and then this sound. Where are we going? We fl- we're gonna fly somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> that's at least how what it. When I focused in on the different frequencies, like equalized these spaces, I found these. And I removed the air sound just to, to have these tones in the end. Like you just had, you know, so it's, it's a piece, but it's a mark, mark piece. Right. <laughs> um, uh, and then autopsy is something 
of course I was always interested in doing that. I, I, I mean, also just to see it, to experience yes. an anatomy. And then I, it's so, it's so brutal. Yes. You know, <laughs> and yet it, once you were there, I mean, it was difficult to get access, really difficult or like it took a long time. But once you're there, you know, it's just happening right there. And it's just like, it doesn't take long until the whole thing is unceremonious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the just... fluids are the weirdest part, I think. The draining of the fluids. Yes. <laughs> it's, oh. Have you experienced it? Yes. Mm. Not personally. Yeah, on video. Not personally on not video. On, yeah. I've, only, oh, okay. I've, only, I've only been around cadavers that are already, yeah. have gone through the process. Mm. Um, but we've, we've watched the video. Okay. Um, videos many times. Yeah, of... they were draining the blood uh, from this corpse. I was at, with two autopsies where they remove all the stomach, everything, the, the pelvis. And then, so there's just nothing. And then they take uh, like a, this soup spoon. It's, it's, it's a ladle. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's absolutely yes. what it is. Yeah. yeah. And then they do like with the uh. hand, scoop with the hand, like on the yeah. leg. Yeah. And then they, and, and then did they put everything back in and sew it up? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, and it's the same process I've seen. Yeah. And it, not in a particular right, order. Right, right. They just actually put it back in. <laughs> also the brain. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, and it's so strange because you think that you're fine with it. You know, you can mm. you can intellectualize it and say, well, no, this is, I understand what this is and I'm going to witness this process. And, and inevi inevitably you get to a point where you do have a visceral response. There yeah. is this shudder and it makes you think like, what is that? What is that within me that is reacting mm -hmm. like, am I afraid or am I, you know, it's, it's just, it's, you can't turn empathy off. That's true. I mean, I, the only thing that was a bit difficult for me was the smell, uh, with the whole sort of, uh, abdominal area. Mm -hmm. uh, but otherwise I what, was also fine. What know? was that smell like? Oh, it's not all everything at once because <laughs> right. It's just uh, that's the worst. a complete sensory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. at the body farm, it was just a smell of rotting corpse and a very strong mm -hmm. and it was just that one smell. So it was a strong smell and it stayed in my nose for a while, but it was that smell, you know, decomposition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, but police the, and detectives always say that you, once you've smelled it, you'll never forget it. Yeah. And if you smell it again, you know, you're like, that's it. You it's, hear about these people yeah. who live in a in an apartment and you walk up the stair, they for a week, they heard, smelled this strange smell. They, and then they found out this guy is, mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. rotting in his apartment. And this will never, was never, never happen to me. Uh, you, know, you, you know, will, you, will, yeah. you will know immediately. <laughs> but but um, that smell from the belly, uh, the whole region uh, is, you know, you have everything there, food, um, intestines, um, uh, feces, um, yeah. uh, urine, Bile. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it felt like the gutter, like the feelings also. I'd, I don't know. Sweats, I don't know. Being very <laughs> close to, I mean, because I was also recording down there, mm. like like with my nose, like, you know. <laughs> so when you're close. recording those, what, what mics are you using and how are you, how are they able to, are they wrapped in something? Like, how are they able no. to survive, basically? How are like, the mics you, able to and survive? And how do you not, like, you know, shake the cable and affect the sound? Oh, I wasn't shaking when I was doing, I'm not that scared. <laughs> oh, not, not, not even <laughs> well, scared, just, just just natural movement. Are you just yeah. able well, to be my still? My cables are, they are, 
I don't know. I have uh, microphones that doesn't. They you, they're you, built in to they're avoid good. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I made a. The first autopsy was with two mics, and I quickly found out that I had to have just one, because uh, the scissors or the knife or the, it's that one point you know that cuts. So why have two mics? You know why would where, where would you put it? So, so I made for the second autopsy, I made a placed a microphone here, um, a shotgun mic, and then two my, uh, measurement mics behind just to get a little bit of stereo like but so it was like this kind of handle i had made with one one mono and then two behind so to get a really close so it was just like following the knife or they were so kind and you know, tell me okay now i'm gonna cut from here to there and so before they cut the cranium we made a test for the sound so it wouldn't uh, peak because it was much louder and but it was easy yeah it was, i mean it's it requires a lot of you know you're recording all these things and editing it uh, afterwards and keeping track of the sounds of the organs like oh this is the sound of a lung and this is sound of the of the kidney and the sound of the you know so i had a lot of track marks in the pro tools to make sure that i, I would keep track you know <laughs> and how did you decide which waste management facility what would be the best for recording? Well, um, usually wastes uh, the waste management is loud, mm -hmm. big machines, big grinders, or what you call them, like grinding garbage. So, but I use uh, measurement mics uh, from Bruyland um, uh, Care, uh, which is a Danish uh, measurement kind of company. So they, these are the, what I use all the time. I just, if it's loud, I just uh, put down the gain on the sound devices, which nice. is original name for the recorder I'm using. Sound devices. That's what it's called. <laughs> nice. You know it? It's, yeah. I don't. <laughs> no. I don't it's know like yeah, you're, this one. You Same know, thing, yeah. Yeah. But, um, huh. uh, so when you're doing these, you know, when we're talking about recording at the body farm or... Uh, at the, at the morgue or something you're, you're with other people or they're, they're sort of accompanying you and assisting you. Uh, you mentioned another of your pieces or collection of works, uh, which is four rooms, mm -hmm. right? Uh, recordings in different spaces in Chernobyl. Uh, was, were you there by yourself or were there people with you when you were doing those as well? Yeah. Chernobyl, you can't go by yourself. Um, so you have, um, a person with you. Normally that person acts like a guide, but you, uh, or like if you want just to see it, uh, which wasn't very normal back then when I was there in 2005. Uh, but it's more like scientists or this uh, extreme tourism kind of phenomenon, uh, people going to extreme places kind of people. Yeah. And then me. So you go with, um, at, at that time, uh, there was a person from... Um, it was called Chernobyl Interim Interim Forum or something like that. Part of the state of Ukraine who uh, you just write to and then you say, okay, what do you, what I wanted and how many days I wanted to be there. And, and then I got in touch with this woman and I explained her what I wanted and uh, recording these rooms and, and just uh, if she could 
uh, recommend me some places. Uh, and so I was with her and then a driver uh, taking us around. And then uh, my then uh, wife from Germany, Sarah, she wanted to come, insisted. <laughs> I can so, understand. Yes, thanks. It seems like a... I thought a, that was love. Interesting yeah. place. <laughs> I must. Um, and I know in the in the notes for the recordings, it mentions that you picked the, the specific rooms you recorded in because you wanted sort of places that were active and maybe had a, a history of gathering and, and communicating and, and uh, I don't know, celebrating or being around each other, right? Like a church, I believe, and a, a swimming pool, right? And in those spaces, the, the recording is not just a recording of that room, but you then would play back those recordings and re-record them sort of, uh, I mean, when I first uh, read about it and, and heard the piece, I immediately thought of Alvin Lucier's I'm sitting in a room. It seems to be the, the sort of, you know, the piece I think everyone knows is sort of that process or uh, Tito Lictoris mm -hmm. uh, live playbacks, right? Where they would play back one song recorded at a previous concert and keep recording it. And was that where the, was that an inspiration? Was Lucier yes. an inspiration on that one? Yeah. Alvin Lucier's work was definitely the inspiration. Um, but, um, but I wanted to remove myself, which I think I am very interested in doing in general, like uh, in my work. I'm not so interested in me, uh, you know, as if I'm recording death or waste or ice melting in the Arctic. Who am I anyway to, you know, I just want to listen and to facilitate that and sort of pick stuff and, and uh, sort of, so, so it, it was similar with Chernobyl because how do you record such a place? You know, how do you understand such a place that is radioactive and has such a history and has such a heavy, like a, the gravity of, uh, of that place? Yet the rooms are just there uh, in that place. Uh, so I thought Elvin Lucia's piece was, uh, um, or the method which he used was interesting if I could just remove myself and let the room speak instead, instead, you know, just listen to the rooms. But because again, you know, there is always sound. Um, so I placed a microphone and then just made it record, went out, made it record for 10, 13 minutes and then came back and played that recording back into the space with a loudspeaker placed a bit away. And then like a slow, like a very tiny little like low volume, just to add the extra layer of what we already heard in the still in the room, you know, and then recording this and then taking this recording and play it back and play it back layer and layer and layer. And then the room started resonating or like the sound of itself sort of, you know, they're speaking started. at that point. It's, yeah. it's own sort of reverberation yes. and it's general sound. And it's, it's a strange thing because, you know, like living in the city, we don't get to hear silence a lot. There's always mm. a neighbor, a car passing by a helicopter overhead, especially if you live in Los Angeles. Um, there's just all these sounds. And even in the wild, there's all mm. sorts of, you know, cicadas and, and animals mm. and stuff around in Chernobyl. It seems like there probably isn't a lot of natural wildlife or activity around mm. for anything. So were there other sorts of sounds you were hearing that were outside of the, the rooms you were in or the spaces you were in? Depends how I should answer because I think it was very noisy there, like uh, psychologically. And uh, it felt very noisy. I had a headache when I was there. 
maybe also because I was stressed out about doing this and, and being there, it sort of creeped in underneath, you know, because I was also sleeping in there for two nights uh, okay. in the zone. And, um, you know, lie there half naked under the blanket in the Chernobyl, you know, it's like kind of <laughs> weird, but so it was quite, um, I don't, don't remember it or like recall it as silent, like, but of course, of course it was very silent, but it, you know, that silence is different because you know why it's silence, why, why, so why it's a silent because people are gone because there is something else there. This radioactivity, radiation. Mm. And once you know that the silence gets eerie, it, it, it has a, you start to hear uh, the sound of, a, of wind in a different way. You know, it's not just like, ah, how pleasant is that? Nice, quiet day. Like, like uh. it's like a radioactive wind yeah it, it, it's <laughs> that, if you've seen a Tarkovsky's films you know like Andrei Tarkovsky mm -hmm. you know there's something you in Stalka you never see or even in Solaris you never see any monster or something really right but you know something is there and uh, that's also what I liked about the shining the Kubrick shining it's like of course, there's this lady, that, but that's the anti-climax of that film, I think. But because it's much more scary when you don't see. I'm not saying Chernobyl is scary. I think Chernobyl is mystical, mysterious, eerie. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't think it was very silent there. <laughs> okay. And how do you decide where you're going to sleep in Chernobyl? You have one option that is uh, like a... Hotel Chernobyl. Oh, so it is actually a, a legitimate hotel mm -hmm. place. Yeah. You don't just take a sleeping bag. I was just picturing of... you with a sleeping bag walking around deciding oh, no. which building oh, to go to. Because no? <laughs> some places are more radioactive yeah. than others. And mm -hmm. uh, you're always with a guide. And inside the zone, there are also checkpoints. And, um, yeah. Uh, even, you know, at the, at the outer checkpoint, I think that it's even their arms, like uh, it's even mm -hmm. with their weapons. So. Yeah, I've seen documentaries about people doing... Um, census of the animal population because yeah. it is rebounding and mm -hmm. and there is a significant amount of, of wild dogs and other domesticated animals that are, are still there I honestly don't know if there are any dogs but there are definitely el mm. elks and so on yeah. and um and birds i don't know if maybe the, i don't know if the dogs could could survive uh but um but yeah, there are animals in there. Mm. I saw a big elk. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you were there for two days, you said? Uh, three days. Three days. So you was each day a recording of one or two rooms, mm -hmm. basically? Yes. Yeah. Did you record uh, other spaces or did you settle on these? No. And, no, just the no, ones I recorded these, these spaces. And uh, my then wife went around a little bit uh, outside uh, with a camera recording, taking some footage. Uh, uh, you, know, you can always spend more time in there, but I was happy to just to be there for three days because it's, it's radioactive, you know, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, do, uh, do you have to carry a meter to no, because they know where it is. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's in the ground. So it's not flying around really. Yeah. It's really in the soil. So there is even a map, but they know the people who work there, they are, they know where 
For example, there is something called the Red Forest, which was very exposed, a forest that was super exposed to radiation, and it became all red. So they buried this forest in the ground and put sand on top and planted a pine tree forest. But that pine tree forest is also very radioactive. Mm -hmm. So you don't go in there, for example. Wow. And then where we slept was a zone three, which was less radioactive. But, uh, you know, it's fine. You know, it's, I mean, but still, you, you get some background radiation that isn't very high, but you just can't live there because uh, you can't eat stuff. You can't mm. pluck an apple. You, so I'll touch things. It's also not so good. But I needed to touch cable, you know, but you just wash your hands, apparently. So it's like a, it's not gamma rays. Gamma rays, you have, you have through the air. And you're exposed to this also when you fly uh, intercontinental flights. So it's more or less the same level. But the, the dangerous thing is in Chernobyl is, you know, to, to get it into your body, you know, yeah. eating stuff. Having a baby in the, in the garden, you don't want no. you know, eating. That's interesting that the trees grew radioactive. It's like when they use um, tree samples to detect the gold in the soil because the gold can come up through the, the leaves of the tree. Oh, wow. So I like the, the radioactive tree. <laughs> yes. I've been thinking a lot about this because, you know, this is not a place you want to hug a tree. Yeah, no. Yeah, the tree hugger. You know, <laughs> it's uh, the concept of nature squirrels. is reversed. You know, yeah. the, the, the color green is always seen as something nice you know you go to a organic natural whatever store here the color green right is everywhere yeah. it's oh, yeah. positive mm -hmm. color back to nature all all that is always positive wow you you're back in the, you're so natural it's positive right you know you're really natural but here nature is something dangerous it's a poisonous so to look at um, radioactive forest, to me, was just something flipping in me. The nature was not anymore just that. It was something else. Extremely interesting. Because mm -hmm. it, it's everything you thought was, that's how life is. That's how the world is. It's not like that. It's a sinister tree. Yeah. <laughs> Have you g gone on trips to record and the results were not interesting and you scrapped those recordings? Yes. Or, yes. What, what one in particular or, or well, um, any that you can remember? I wanted to record the wall uh, that the Israelis have, have built uh, uh, around uh, in, in Palestine. And um, so that I wanted to place my really good sensors on that wall and record this, the vibrations of that uh, but once I was there, it was like a very boring sound. And uh, only when I was standing there, I realized why. Because, you know, it's concrete. And uh, that wall is not made to uh, resonate with its surroundings. It's made to be stubborn. To stand Dividing firm. it, yeah. <laughs> not to move, you know. To be like, okay, and... So it was just like, and, and uh, so that was, uh, that was a surprise. But then again, you know, I learned something. Sure, sure. But then I recorded along the walls instead. 
on both sides because I realized the walls were like the sounds were flying up across the the wall. Um, like you know the 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 Arab uh, the the call to prayer was just flying right into a, a settlement, like a Jewish settlement and so on, and to the irritation and so on. So it, I thought, wow, that's a, like sound is uh, free. Sound is free, you know, it flies just, but humans aren't, aren't so. So you were able mm -hmm. to make it, get some recordings out of it, out of it, just not what you expected. Yes. You know, you know, you need to be flexible. And I think that's not the challenge, but that's the big gift of uh, doing, going out in the world and recording sound, I think. Because if I wanted to be 100% sure of what I got, I could just stay at home. You know, make something, you know, on a, on a keyboard or something. Mm -hmm. Because what it is to go out and to go to places like Palestine or Chernobyl or, or to even these death spaces is that you have to accept, not only accept what, what is there, but um, it's a dialogue. You know, it's, it's like I come out there and I want to get some recordings, right? But it's also an ego, ego project in a way. You know, I want to get some recordings for my project so I can do a record, so I can do a concert and I can, you know, but I want to engage with this area. I want to understand what's going on. So when the things turn in a different direction, it is a gift if I'm flexible and if I'm able to just to uh, stand in that moment where I don't know, um, Okay, what, you know, I, when I went to Greenland to record, it was a big museum in Denmark, Louisiana, Museum of Modern Art in, in Denmark. And they invited me to, like, commissioned me to do a big piece and uh, paid my trip to Greenland where I could record sound of melting ice. That's what I wanted. But standing there with this weight on my shoulders with this big museum, wanting to do this great piece, and then standing in front of the icebergs that were even bigger, even older at this museum, even, you know, didn't care about me or that museum. Another Danish person wanting something from Greenland, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, you know, a kind of humbling experience to be there. So you, you put your ego down and you just listen for, uh, for a while, you know, and listen. So after a while, it's, you know, things start to talk. Maybe the, it doesn't talk, but it doesn't, it just starts, something starts to happening in, inside me. I start to listen, I start to hear. Um, and to know what, what's the essence here. So that's my, that's what I um, use in order, when I choose my, my recordings is, I try to find the characteristics of a place or the essence or the authentic. When I recorded a border wall here between Mexico and United States, I traveled from El Paso and out to the Pacific. That was a metal, metal structures. <clears throat> and that, it, so I could just go and find the places where there were a lot of vibration, like, <laughs> like that. And then, oh, it's speaking, it's talking. So can I record this? And it's like, so that is beautiful. Not knowing what I will get. How much editing do you do when you have these recordings? 
or layering or any sort of nothing production. much nothing much i uh again i try to when i'm out there i choose i choose my thing my my recordings so i'm already creating a piece when i'm out there of course if it's an autopsy i just record the whole autopsy and that is the piece so i try to think how this is like a piece it's um you know, it starts with the opening of the body. It's like opening of, a, of an opera or a symphony. You know, you opening. That's why the first piece is called Overture. You know, it's a relating to, mm. you know, it's opening of the piece, opening of the body and closing again. So that was easy because it's just like from side A to side B, opening, up, closing. Um, the border fence here it was just traveling from the beginning from El Paso where it starts like before it's a river and it goes out mm -hmm. and so the piece is just all the recordings I made from there to out there so and then I, I mix I mix the recording sometimes like uh, overlaying like transitions Right, I was going to ask because specifically the one we've been really digging into gearing up for this discussion is and I won't be able to pronounce it. It's the recordings of the geysers in Iceland. Mm -hmm. How do you pronounce that album? Geyser. Uh, no, I don't. I can't, I can't pronounce it okay. either because it's Icelandic. Oh, okay. It's, there you go. It's so um, good. It's not oh, just thank goodness. Iltfjetl, I think. There you go. It's, it's a great fire mountain. Yeah. It oh, means. oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Because those those tracks do. It seems like there's some sort of mixing going on, but maybe maybe there's not. Oh. It seems each track has all these different movements we listened in, in the dark last night yeah, and really? it was great yeah i'm so glad you this album is still being listened to and because <laughs> i heard it myself for the first time a few months ago and i was like oh this is actually pretty pretty nice mm -hmm. <laughs> who made this <laughs> <laughs> it's always but a good it, surprise when that happens after, like, oh, yeah. after years like oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, because it's I th it, that it, there's no mixing. Okay. It's just wow. Um, that's why I was surprised why, why I like it. Why I liked it uh, because uh, I thought I maybe made it too strict. So it's just like one recording starting. You know, it clicks in and it clicks out. Right. There yeah, is no yeah. fade yeah. in or right. Um, so no there is no no uh editing wow. uh, like but i always equalize a little bit just to enhance sure mm -hmm. to bring out what's what's already there if i hear like like down there and so maybe i find that frequency like that's already and i maybe push it a bit up like not i don't like the word to push but lift it a little sure. bit and just try to unfold a little bit, but not too much, you know. It's it's like when you do color correction on Photoshop, sure. you know. Some people go like, <laughs> but it's it's also nice. I mean, I remember Lydia uh, Lunch did a lot of uh, for the book where she photographed me for that book as well. But so it's like she works with these overexposed colors, and um, but for me, it's it's important that that the if you don't see the effects that but you feel the effect you know so it you don't really know but it's it's there so but i also like overexposed stuff but, sure but the way <laughs> what i like to do is just to subtle this is a very impressive geyser yes <laughs> <as> hell <laughs> yeah so, they're very powerful so we've talked about works as 
when was uh Eldfjall? Ah, uh, that's saying 2005. That wrong. 2005 and, yeah. and Four Rooms was 2005. Uh, six. 2006. So talking about works as far back as 17 years ago, and also speaking of your your recent work and stuff you've even been doing like here present day. But where did all this start? Uh, in 1981, <laughs> <laughs> when I was six years old. Yeah. Uh, I started recording uh, with a reel-to-reel tape recorder. But, you know, I was just six years old, like my son is today. So uh, I still have the tapes. <laughs> really? Yeah. <gasps> I, I discovered you could record, I could record my, my childish voice fast and then play it back at normal or slow speed. And then, you know, have my own little voice change. Like, like this. <laughs> yeah. So... I think uh, it was that curiosity is still with me, or that playfulness. But I started when I was 19, for real, like uh, recording. I heard a program of, by Pierre Schaeffer, like about Pierre Schaeffer, the uh, music concrete guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, wow, okay. Because I've been playing music since I was 12, guitar and stuff punk rock heavy metal and, and all, all the all this stuff yeah <laughs> that is still with me you know so but i also thought it always sounds like a guitar you know it's like can i go on like so when when i heard this about pierre Schaeffer about the seeing the world as an instrument or noise like from the street or trains i you know i went out to record the train breaking with my good friend who is a danish um uh, sound person, vocalist that I've been that I was working with in the '90s. Um, she's still a good friend of mine. So we we went out to record in Copenhagen together, and uh, and she, the f- one thing she had done before I met her, she had she went underneath a big bridge that was very noisy. You know, when you are underneath a bridge with a lot of cars, mm-hmm. yeah. And she loved that noise to sing to that noise. And uh, so it was like perfect match. So to go out and explore with her. Um, but then in 2001, I started uh, studying at the Academy of Media Arts in Germany. So we had been working for six years together and recording. And then I was ex- sort of introduced to the sensors, accelerometers at this academy. And that's how my world sort of opened up to the deeper, like what's underneath the surface. So what's not just sounds that I hear immediately around me that was always recording, but now it was like, okay, there is a sound inside the objects or underneath the earth. Like, and there is a, like the difference between the sound from above the earth and below the earth's surface in the, in Ilfjell there. Now, these are only sounds from below, but above it sounds so different. It was like two worlds and uh, condensed. And so that's how it has been going. And then moving into more and more difficult topics, like topics that can be difficult to talk about or address, you know, like death, border walls, global warming, waste. So those are the topics I like to, to explore, to create listening spaces for. What are your live performances like? I mix the sounds or just EQ the sounds or I'm just present. Any video? Sometimes, but I like just it just to be sound. Like Opus Morse is, you know, I talk about it. I tell about 
what it is and then i play uh or just it's playback but it's you know i uh, i mix the sounds or like just tweak to the room and um yeah so it's uh for that kind of piece it's uh i also often have like conversation afterwards about death and so on so it can also become a sharing experience and how did you get in touch with touch that was through philip jack who just uh recently passed away um we met at um, a mers festival in uh, germany in 2000 and um uh one i think uh there was a guy called frank schulte who had organized this event and invited different sound artists like people and to play in a big ring circle like on different so he was like conducting these people had to play <laughs> this and so we all had to play and then at some moment philip and i were sitting on across the circle and we just felt i think together that we lifted that that space with our sounds and it was just like we were looking at each other and just like, Whoa, what's happening? We just connected. And then I had a concert, a solo concert at this festival. And then I, and I invited him to play with me. So we did an improvised concert together. That went really well. And then he recorded it. Uh, no, I recorded it or it was recorded. And Philip sent it to Touch, to Mike Harding uh, without even telling me and and then, sometimes uh, that's the best way mm -hmm. oh yeah and then mike uh emailed me and said hey we want to release this so can is that okay and i said sure and then later mike told me you shouldn't just say sure you should be a little bit more like i have to think about it <laughs> like, okay well do the hard sell but then he was like we always wanted to release something with a kierkegaard oh that's okay but uh, anyway so i was there and with philip that, that play that record is called uh, soaked mm -hmm. came out in 2002 and uh so i then i did uh ilfiel uh in 2005 before that i did another solo on a on a german label and uh and I also did a, a vinyl record with my friend Gru uh, in 1998, which was like based on our stuff, that noise, whatever, city sounds. Is that your first record? Was that your first record? Yeah, yeah. That was based on material from 1997 from, yeah. I can send you, send you digital, whatever of that if you want. <laughs> I think the the first thing i heard that you were involved with was the the imperium the record what? the imperium record uh-huh yeah that's that is the name of it right is imperia that, imperia mm. yes okay, can you tell us about that yes it was um collaboration with uh, tobias kirstein uh uh from denmark and uh we it was it was part of also this whole whole radioactive um now i don't remember when we did that i think it was in 2004 <laughs> Uh, we went to Barsebeck, which was the Swedish nuclear power plant that you could almost see from Copenhagen or a little bit north of Copenhagen. You could see it and it was working back then. And then Denmark doesn't have nuclear energy. So although uh, they buy the, but <laughs> so it's a little bit hypocrite kind of thing, mm -hmm. but it's kind of, kind of scary to have this nuclear power plant on the other side of the sound. 
So we we went there and recorded uh, at this power plant and uh, made uh, uh, this uh, record. Um, we recorded so many sounds. He recorded with acoustic microphones and I did with sensors on the turbines and the tubes and everything. And, um, and then we cooked it down to this one tone, one sound. Um, and then paired it with a, with a poem by a Danish poet long dead called Sophus Clausen, who made this poem called Imperia, which is about the earth and the sort of fierceness of the earth. Uh, danger of the earth. Like, yeah. A lot of recurring themes in, yes, in your work in many different <laughs> facets. It's true. Hmm. <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> what are you? Why are you? Uh, oh, no. Well, this has been incredible. This has been yes, such a great thank conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you too yeah. for thank, inviting me. Yeah, thanks yeah. for taking time. Really lovely. Lovely. Yeah, mm -hmm. I know you're only here for such a short time, but you thanks so much for carving out a little bit of time to talk with us. Of course. And we'll yeah, have to do it again, pleasure. hopefully, in your neck of the woods yeah. next time. Oh, when I come back, let's um then yeah. I'll let's play some let's do some sounds noise good to or us. whatever. We'll we're, make it happen. We're down for yeah, that. Yeah. That'll be fantastic. <laughs> Perfect. I'll, I'm I'm down for it. You know. Heck yeah. Play some opus morse or whatever <laughs> all together. Let's get some decomposing chaos going. <laughs> I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, Jakob, thank you so much. Thank you too. Thanks. Thanks. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra. And your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at Noise Extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at Noise Extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to Noise. <laughs>